Welcome to episode 56 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and producer, Johnny Pham. Guys, we are on to the first week of December. We are so close to the fantasy football playoffs. We had a great mashed potatoes and gravy matchup with the Cowboys and Raiders, just as I predicted last week. How, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. The Tony Pollard kickoff return on the mashed potatoes and gravy game was just what I was looking for and just what I was needing. <laughs> yeah, you, with Learn Fournette having 40 points on your team, you, you definitely needed that extra six. <clears throat> hey, more the merrier. You got to make that playoff push with your points against. <laughs> Johnny, how are you doing? Uh, doing good. Looks like Mark Ingram should be playing this week. So doing just fantastic right now. Yeah. Have we seen if Kamara is playing yet? They have not announced yet. No. He's practiced. He's practiced all week. Surely he's playing. limited practice. But yeah, but I think Ingram was limited practice too, wasn't he? Uh, no. He 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 was like a full participant and then taking off the injury report as mm-hmm. well. Okay, well, you can tell which of the three of us has Mark Ingram on, on their fantasy football team and is really needing of this week. Yep, yep. Very it's, amazing. it's amazing you're really paying attention to his practice status this week and not last week. <laughs> yeah, because last oh, week yeah, was... We can't, uh, we, we can't let no, that go. No, we can I let it go. It's okay. Johnny, the, Johnny pulled the cardinal sin this week of starting an injured player mm-hmm. in, in Mark Ingram. Uh, on the Thanksgiving mm-hmm. games, somehow tried to blame both Dalton and I. Yes, for, he did. For actually. this happening, mm-hmm. as, I as... never blamed anyone. Okay, well, you were just like blaming the world, like you're. Too I was busy blaming on... the world. I like, was like, I was like tilted. you're. You're too busy on Thanksgiving, even though we're literally talking in our group chat all day. Mm-hmm. You're too busy to see the alert from like 11 a.m. that he probably wasn't playing. Probably wasn't playing. Yeah, well, then it was official like three hours before the game. No, it was one hour before the game. But semantics, that's besides the point. I still won. No big deal. But if I were to start someone else, Dalton would be below me in the standings. But it's okay. I, we're, we're moving on. We'll settle this next week when I play you. I, on the other hand, lost Christian McCaffrey for like the eighth time in the last two seasons. So that's that's a lot of fun. He he has not been a very uh, trustworthy guy the last yeah, couple of years. I mean, and, nobody saw that one coming. And speaking of trust, that is the topic of of this show this week. It's time to reevaluate our circle of trust. I feel like in fantasy football, guys, it's it's been a roller coaster of a season. I think anyone who follows fantasy football, whether it is talking about it or just playing it. Anyone who follows like kind of regularly would probably say, this has maybe been like the craziest year of fantasy that, that we've had in recent memory that I remember at least. I would say worst year. I think worst is a better just Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that could also um, be the phrase you use as well. So with that, I mean, we've, we've kind of got to reevaluate, uh, a couple of these guys and so what we decided to do is we brought five players total to the table plus all of the seahawks which will be our first topic so six players but the seahawks is really like three or four players and we're gonna rank them uh, on a scale of one to five as far as how trustworthy they are down the stretch here and dalton i guess we, we didn't discuss this but i went one being least trustworthy five being most trustworthy is that how you did your your ratings? i'm glad we are on the same page 
All right, glad, glad I could trust you with these uh, trustworthiness ratings. And where we're going to start, this one I know had you fired up on, <clears throat> on Monday night. Um, the Seattle Seahawks, boy, it's been – they beat the Jaguars, they get Russell Wilson back, and they have looked like complete crap. You, the, the first game against the Packers, it was like, well, it was his first game back. It was snowing. Like, he came back really quickly, which he did from from the finger injury but it's looked no better since then either quite quite frankly though i don't even know where to start with the seahawks quite frankly so i'll just let you take it away and then i'll i'll add on to what i'm sure is going to be a rant on your part on this team well let's just start off with how horrifically bad this team is being coached because in any regular year, the Seattle Seahawks probably have three close to three all-pro players in Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Despite that, this is from Field Yates. The Seahawks are averaging 25 minutes of possession per game. That's last the NFL. Not only is it last the NFL, but the last team to do that was the 1999 Browns. So it's been <laughs> 22 years since the team has been that bad. And of course, fantasy production and time of possession are really well correlated because the more you have the ball, the more points you can score. Uh, even not, worse. It's, it's not it's not really quite that this equals this but i see where you're going with that for sure yeah you're right but you know what does equal more fantasy points plays per game and that's where we're going to next which seattle is also at the nfl low with negative 18.8 plays per game run compared to their opponents meaning they have the ball less often this ranks behind houston the lions the jets the jaguars and worst since Russell Wilson's returned, they're not scheming for their playmakers. Metcalf has 20 targets, Lockett has 18, and Gerald Everett has 21. Now, Gerald Everett is do, a do, fine and, tight end. And, and, and do you want to hear um, something even more puzzling on top of that? I just retweeted this on the Half Point Per Pod um, Twitter account a few minutes ago. I just had pulled up. There we go. This is from uh, Danny Carter. Seattle has the third highest pass rate since week eight so he like they're they're they are actually throwing like again they're not throwing it a lot because what you said they're not running that many plays but they are in comparison to running the ball they are actually throwing the ball now it's just not working and that makes it even worse so if you can't tell already my level of trust i put them at a two the only reason they're not a one is because you probably have to start all three of those guys because of what they're capable of at um, least, at least, like DK Metcalf, you for sure have to start. The other two, you can at least have a conversation. But Tyler Lockett's actually the one who's been the most reliable lately. It's yeah. just a, it's it's a really hard, like thing to wrap your head around what you should do with those three. Yeah, and I I just they they're bringing Adrian Peterson onto the Packers squad right now. <laughs> like it, there's just this franchise might be the worst run uh, there. I know we're going to talk about it later, but Pete Carroll's up there with. Uh, Shanahan now on my just absolutely oh, he's, he's distrust worse. list. He he's worse because at least Shanahan like actually has a like a pretty good offense. Like the team yeah. has struggled a little bit this year, but it's like you know he had Jimmy Garoppolo at at quarterback. Like, I know they have good weapons, but like I know Russ missed some games, but you have Russell freaking Wilson, and, and this is what you're doing. Yeah, I know the the Washington football team's defense has been better. Uh, the last like month or so, it's like actually been like kind of what we thought it would be at the beginning of the year, which 
makes no sense because they don't have Chase anymore and, they, and they've still been really good lately. But they had nine points for basically that whole game until that last drive the other day. Nine points. Yeah. Nine well, points. And going into the second quarter, Russell Wilson had eight pass attempts on the worst pass defense in the NFL. I, I just don't understand putting the ball in the hand of Alex Collins and DJ Dallas and not putting the ball in the hands of playmakers like DJ Well, that's Metcalf. the thing, is they are actually throwing the ball a little more. The problem is, though, they're – if anyone was watching as even that last drive, it was okay. Our guys are going to run deep. They're not going to be open because they're playing cover too deep. Like every other team in the NFL against all these quarterbacks. And I guess we're going to dump it down to Gerald Everett and DJ Dallas and Alex Collins. And that's not how I would want to make my living as an offense. Yeah. And you'll know me and Evan were big fans of Shane Waldron going horizontal. Yeah. Less so now. Less so now, Shane. Well, that's what I want. That's what I'm finishing with. Despite all of those bad stats, Seattle ranks third in the NFL in deep attempts. It's just that on their deep attempts, Seattle wide receivers are covered on 58.2% of the plays by at least two defensive backs when targeted. It's just not been a sustainable offense at any level of it. I didn't look into rushing success rate, but I can already tell you that's bad because. Oh, yeah. They, they ran for like. Russell Wilson was their leading rusher, two carries for 16 yards yet the other day. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you can get off of any of these guys, I'd recommend it. I know it's harder for DK Metcalf, and you'll probably have a game where Lockett goes off on your bench, and Russell might have like an old 30-point game, but they're going to be very hard to find and very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, Here's a little piece of trivia for you. You mentioned the 1999 Browns. Can you name their two quarterbacks? who started games that season. The first one I knew, actually, and that's why I Googled it, because I thought I knew who their quarterback was. The second one, I, I couldn't tell you who this guy is. I couldn't tell you, and if I tried, I'm not even going to guess. You couldn't even tell me the starter? I feel like this guy is like, when you think of bad Browns quarterback, this is the first guy I think of. I can't I can't do it. Who do you Johnny? got? Johnny? Got anything? For the Browns? Yep, 1999 Browns. This is so the first guy, the guy that I remember, he was their starter. I'll give you a couple hints here. He was 22 years old. He started 15 games. Let me look up uh, where he was drafted, if that would help at all. I'm not seeing it on the football reference page. Oh, okay, here we go. He was the number one overall pick of the 1999 draft. Does that help anybody? Oh, um, something. Tim, there you I go. Know. You're on the right is track. It, I Tim just Couch. Couch. It's oh, okay. Tim Couch. I knew it was Tim something. Oh my god! And then wow. Tim Couch. The next guy, Ty Detmer, which again, never heard of this guy. He was drafted in the ninth round of the 1992 NFL draft. The ninth round doesn't even exist anymore. So that I <laughs> that tells only, you anything. I only know who this is, and this should tell you a lot about where I'm at, where I was at in the preseason. Zach Wilson talked about Ty Detmer coaching him. And oh, so I'm God. assuming Ty Detmer went to BYU because I, when I was reading preseason reports, uh, Zach Wilson was saying Ty Detmer's NFL experience was very helpful. This is going to be a real dumb question that I'm trying to Google it before I have to even ask it. Did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have a son named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? 
does he play for the Browns? Is that there's what a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that played for this Browns team? Oh, I don't know, but he's a running back, and of course, when I when I it's spelled differently though. It's uh, Kareem K A R I M, but Abdul-Jabbar is is spelled the same. So I'm extremely confused. Kareem does have a kid named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Jr., but spelled exactly the same. Huh, but that's maybe. that's all the info can do. Yeah, it's spelled K A R I M. Well, this is gonna have to be a post podcast Google. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by by who in the world this guy is. Okay, anyway, that's probably way more. I don't know anyone else on this. Uh, Irv Smith, Irv Smith, Irv Smith Senior. Irv Smith Senior. There we go. There we go. Okay. I bet he had an MCL that season. <laughs> that's a little too soon for me. Too soon. <laughs> all right, so these Seahawks. You mentioned with Shane Waldron, this is some of the worst play calling I've ever seen. How much of this is actually on him? I don't know how we're ever going to know that. Like maybe Pete Carroll just has way too much influence over, over what's being called. It's hard to say. But you mentioned the guys being covered on the deep stuff. And, and that's that's just the thing. Again, it's not that they aren't passing the ball because they are. They just aren't running a lot of plays, which – Results in Russell Wilson have 31 passing attempts there tonight, five or four fewer than uh, Taylor Heineke. <laughs> Taylor Heineke had, had four more passing attempts. So that's also partially because they had the ball for like a whole fourth quarter in that game too. I think it was an eight and a half minute drive they had. And somehow didn't, didn't score. Uh, they're running everything deep. Like you've got DK Metcalf just running wind sprints every play. Like think about the – and the Monday Night Football guys kind of talked about this, I think right after on ESPN I was watching. You think about the ways Devontae Adams gets the ball. Or even, like, I know he's not Tyree Kill, but, like, Tyree Kill. Even, like, A.J. Brown, like, on the bubble. Like, these teams scheme the ball into their playmakers' hands. Like, Devontae Adams. Like, all of these, like, short out routes. Like, bubble screen. Like, just all these creative ways just to get him the ball and, and let him see what he can do. Like, D.K. Metcalf is as much of a physical freak of nature as any receiver in the NFL. Why Why would you not scheme ways for him to get the ball and just see what he can do? Like Tyler Lockett may not be that kind of freak of nature, but it's still pretty fast. Could still maybe do some things if he if he got the ball around the line of scrimmage. Like, I don't know, maybe throw a screen on, on first down. Instead, here's what they're doing. They're running everybody deep. And we saw Monday night, we, we saw that interior offensive line got destroyed. And so Russell Wilson on top of guys not being open, just doesn't have enough time to like even allow guys to get open half the time down the field, even if they were going to be able to. So it's just, and then on top of that, their O-line's so bad, their running backs are so bad that they can't even run the ball successfully against those looks to get teams out of those looks. Like they've got to do something different. And, and like I mentioned, when, when what they're doing is just turning in the dump downs to Gerald Everett and Alex Collins and DJ Dallas, like that what's the point of having these two stud receivers on your team. And my trust rating for all of these guys is a one, but then it's also like, how do I bench them? Like, I just, it's such a, like, I don't trust them at all, but it's likely you don't have other guys that you trust more on your team unless again like Tyler Lockett is the most trustable 
of any of these guys, but he's also the guy you got the cheapest. So maybe you have guys or like maybe, maybe the Russell Wilson manager has a quarterback who they picked up when he was hurt and they trust him more, or maybe yeah. the DK Metcalf manager just hit on a receiver or two. Yeah, but maybe maybe you got Kirk Cousins off the waiver wire who might well be worth starting over Russell Wilson at this point. Yeah, I would. I definitely would. But like in general, like it's tough. Like just as an example, like my, my team in our dynasty league, I have Russell Wilson. I'm very seriously considering starting Tua over Russ. Tua plays the Giants. Like that's a pretty good matchup. I could 100% see the Niners being the Seahawks like, 16 to 3 <laughs> this weekend. Like I, yeah. like I mean, I feel like we've seen that movie even in other years. They they don't, you know, they have games where they just do nothing against the, the Niners. Well, and I've I, I have Tyler Lockett, and I was considering Tony Pollard against the number one rush defense over yeah. over him. I mean, it's just it's so difficult. Uh, you saw last night what happens is Lockett had what looked to be like one of his you know trademark games where he goes off for 40 points. He has two catches that are deep in the first half. And then you do not hear from him in the second half. He had yep. zero targets. It's just, it's mind, it's just befuddling what's going on in Seattle. Yeah. And I just, I don't know what I want to happen. I don't know if I just want Pete Carroll to get fired and for them to bring in a new coach and to see what they can do. Or I don't know if I just want, like, I don't know if I just want Russ to get traded and to see Russ on a team that actually knows how to call a competent offense without its court. Like, cause it, even in the past, and obviously this is the, the origins of the let rest cook, like kind of meme, even in the past it is not like they have known how to call a competent offense. It's just that Russ has been so good and so efficient that they have gotten by and gotten by and then some in a lot of cases. And that's just not happening right now. Well, for a long time, they got away with what was the Legion of Boom, and that just put them in really good game scripts. Mm-hmm. And I I really think they just need to break them up. I Pete Carroll needs fired, first and foremost. He's probably yes. one of the, the worst coaches in the NFL about the way he approaches the game. Maybe establishing the run worked when you had Marshawn Lynch, but it does not work when you have the players that he has. And, and maybe it even worked a little bit when you had Chris Carson, like you're a pr- pretty solid yeah. player. Like. You got Alex Collins, who was out of the league for a reason. You have DJ Dallas, who has never really done anything. Like who You spent a first-round pick on Rashad, on Rashad Penny. Penny. And, and I'm, you... I'm glad you brought that up because I, I sent you the Mina Kimes segment today. They're, since 2013, they have drafted one pro bowler in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. And they've spent first-round picks to acquire Jimmy Graham, who that was not the Saints' Jimmy Graham when they got him, to acquire Percy Harvin. Uh, don't remember how that went, and I'm assuming because I don't remember it, it probably didn't go well. Um, and, and Jamal Adams. and Jamal Adams, and they're gonna pay that piper this offseason to the tune of like a top five to six draft pick. It looks like. Yeah, this is a franchise. I think I said this when you said that, but they're in as bad as a spot as Houston is as far as their draft capital. They don't have a lot of picks, and they've just been so poor at picking that they don't have a lot of depth on their team that really looks like they're going to be establishing anything. I mean, we Eskridge we're out on, but after that, their wide receiver core really just falls off the face of the earth. You, you know who could have helped the interior offensive line issues? Uh, Creed Humphrey, who Creed. went after uh, Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, you already have two good receivers, and Freddie Swain is like, fine. Why are you – you have so many other places on your roster that you could – 
you know, fill holes to, to help your team. Why are you drafting another wide receiver? Well, last but not least, I don't remember his name. He went to the Panthers. He's not doing anything. But they let a player walk in the offseason as a wide receiver who did an all right job as their third wideout last season. Can't remember his name for the life of me, though. Well, and it's not like Jaron Reed has been a world beater with the Chiefs, but he's been playing a little bit better. But that he was the salary cap casually. And they, I think you and Mina Kimes mentioned it like Pete Carroll has had a definite say in those types of in the front office decisions, too. So just another thing, you could lay pretty much everything that's wrong with this franchise at Pete Carroll's feet. Influence there, and then the draft, like he definitely has an influence there. I'll end this rant on this, but did you know since 2013, so that's eight years, they've had six different offensive coordinators. How I've, insane is that? And that just, it just goes to show you that the blame is being leveled at other people. When I really think the issues with their team are on the coaching decisions. Yeah. No, I. That's actually, it feels like Schottenheimer was there forever because we get so frustrated with him, but he really was only there for for a couple of yeah. years. And then Daryl Bevel was another one. And of mm-hmm. course, we have Shane Waldron this year. Yep. Okay, man, the Seahawks are, are all types of frustrating. I'm, that, that was a little cathartic to talk yeah. about, I'm sure. I, I'm sure others are obviously, if anyone listened to this podcast and took draft advice, so probably a lot of you have Seahawks players on, on your team too. So we, we apologize for that one. I have $45 in best ball teams that stack the Seahawks. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, those those were probably long gone. So All for right. anybody listening who listens to our advice, just know I am financially ruined as well. Uh, and Keenan Allen's going to hit over 100 yard, or 1,000 yards, so I'm going to owe $100 to Johnny. There you go. And you're going to owe me 50 bucks when Jameis Winston doesn't win MVP for his five or six games he was healthy this year. He could still win. <laughs> just need Technic- <laughs> Technically, he could, I guess. You're not wrong. All right. On to a guy that we have talked quite a bit about, but I just he just keeps being relevant, and that's Miles Gaskin. Dalton. Like the way he plays football. You don't want to look at it, you don't want to talk about it, but stuff is happening, so you have to. <laughs> Where is your trust in Miles Gaskin? So He's at a four, and the reason for that, first of all, is I went and looked at top 24 rankings for running backs, and you can't get away from him not being in the top 24 Mm -hmm. because of how absolutely disgusting the running back position is this season. In the last five weeks, so this is since uh, Malcolm Brown got injured, he's fourth in the NFL in carries, he's fifth in snaps at 94, and 12th in receptions at 15, and eighth in routes run at 98. Now look, it's not been good on the field, and there have been buys sprinkled in there, and there have been injuries to players like Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook, but he's certainly in the top 12 of all of those metrics if you take out buys and you adjust that. So that's not fun. And while I was looking at his snaps and everything he was doing, I have a great comparison. He's Leonard Fournette two years ago. It's not pretty. It's not what you want, but the volume's there that he's going to give you a solid base of like 8, 10 points, which is really kind of hard to count on when it comes to running backs right now. So he's somebody that you're going to trust because he's just somebody who's getting the work. Um, it's just very, very ugly work. And then the Dolphins are so bereft right now of real talent that they're really having to utilize him uh, in a role that just befits him for fantasy production. But 26 carries for 90 yards is very bad real-world production. Johnny, I'm hoping you can still hear us as we uh, – and the recording can still hear us as we, as we go through all of this. I'm with you. I have him. I'll say a 3.5. And 
it's nothing to really do with with him and a lot to do with well who else are you trusting at running back in a lot in a lot of situations like i'm trusting him over the panthers guys for example whichever of abdullah and and chuba whichever of those guys proves to be the more relevant or maybe it's purely 50 50 i don't know but you mentioned it's it's really the usage and that that's what it is like on a scale of one to five i have been a 3.5 but the rug could be ripped out from that in an instant if the work slows down even a little bit. And I'm and the little... all-time leading rusher at the U, Duke Johnson, is sitting in the wings. Just waiting. I'm a little concerned that Philip Lindsay already came in and got 12 carries last week and was basically just as effective or ineffective as, as Gaskin. 12 for 42 for Lindsay, 16 for 49 for Gaskin. What made Gaskin's day is what has in a lot of games this year. He had two touchdowns. He's a touchdown dependent running back too. So in his last five weeks, this is from the CBS uh, Fantasy Football Podcast, he's averaging 2.8 yards per carry over the last five weeks. Like I'm not a big yards per carry guy, but when your average is that low over that long of a stretch, like I think that's pretty telling. To be fair, Brandon Thorne, he I was listening to him on oh, their their O line is terrible. Yeah. It's not all his fault. He it's said this is probably fault. the worst offensive line he's seen in the last 10 years. I mean, yeah. Credit it, to the Dolphins everywhere else, but offensive line has been a huge struggle for them. For sure. But also you're you're clearly seeing that they're not like satisfied with Gaskin because they're bringing in Duke Johnson. They're bringing in Philip Lindsay. They're, they're grasping at straws, seeing yeah. if they can do, you know, they're just throwing crap against the wall and seeing what sticks, basically. Yeah, and um, if you're a dynasty manager and you have Miles Gaskin, yeah, get out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're out of the playoffs and there's someone who you know has Alvin Kamara or had Dalvin Cook and does have Madison, mm-hmm. you need to trade him as soon as possible. For for yeah, for I trade him for a second round pick right now. Sure. Yeah, I, I, everybody knew the Dolphins wanted to get a running back and they just missed out on Javante Williams. It it, it it this is his season and then he's done. In that same five game stretch, do you want to guess what he's averaging receiving yards per game? 17 13 13 <laughs> yards receiving per game over the last five weeks so like that was where he made a lot of his money last year when he was so good down the stretch and he it's just not it's just not been that way this year but again it's just a, a who else is there i have uh pff's rankings pulled up and they have gasket at 16 i'll play a little name game with you with guys behind him miles gasket or jamal williams jamal williams miles gasket or miles sanders Miles Sanders, Miles Gaskin, or Boston Scott. Gaskin. Last, Miles Gaskin or my boy Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Clyde Edwards-Helaire, easily. All so those guys should be ahead of all those guys. That's what I thought too, but they have him under him. They actually have Zeke at fifteen and Gaskin at sixteen, which I think might just be part of the injury news about Zeke. Even so, there should be like a Grand Canyon-sized gulf between 15 and 16, even if Zeke is injured. Until we we actually see him be limited for more than one game after the injury. This is where tears become very important. Uh, So just to like – I just want to talk real football for a second with with Gaskin and the Dolphins. And this isn't like – you can do this with a lot of guys, but this is who we're talking about. He's 26th in rushing yards this season behind guys like Mark Ingram, Tony Pollard, James Conner, but he's 16th in carries. So that 2.8 yards per carry isn't, isn't taking him to any places, even with, 
with the volume. So again, just very touchdown dependent. Just to give you an idea of what different tiers of players and different tiers of offensive lines can accomplish, Miles Gaskin has 11 fewer carries than Nick Chubb. Do you want to guess how many more yards Nick Chubb has than Miles Gaskin? I'm going to go 500. Four, like 400 and something, like low 400 more yards. It's just it's just kind of comical at this point. And the thing that's kind of the saving grace for Gaskin outside of the volume is the schedule. They get the Giants. They get the Jets. They get the Saints, who you're not, you're not afraid of the Saints at this point. They get the Titans, who I don't know what. That's week 16, so who knows what that team looks like then. And then they do get the Patriots in the, in the, in the championship week. So it could be tough sledding if you're counting on them in the championship week. Well, they say the Patriots take away your best player. And right now, other than Waddle, I don't know who, who that is for the Dolphins. <laughs> uh, Going to be a lot of Mike Gusecki focus. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that team other than they're still fighting for a playoff spot, amazingly. So I don't know. Like, if... I say all that to say, I guess, if like Philip Lindsay does start outplaying him, which I don't know, Dalton, who, if you're just talking like real life football, if your football team needed a running back and for whatever reason, those were the only two that you could choose, which running back would you ra- rather have in real football? Oh, Philip Lindsay. I was a fan of him when he was in yeah. the Broncos behind Gordon. I thought he was so, a better player. So it's like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be shocking if, if Lindsay kind of overtook Gaskin. Or at least it was a like a real 50-50, which would be a problem for both guys. But that's what I'm saying is you trust him now. That trust could evaporate very quickly. If your trade deadline has not passed, I agree with you, Dalton. I would be looking to trade him in yeah. any format, dynasty, redraft, whatever. Do what you can with him. And there's probably more value out there for him than you would think. Mm-hmm. Talk about a bright spot in the absolute darkest of times. That's what we've got with Darnell Mooney in, in Chicago. The Bears have looked about as uninspiring as possible. Apparently all of us but the Bears know Matt Nagy as a dead man walking, or at least they aren't willing to admit it just yet and and put him out of his misery and fire him. But Mooney has 120 yards or more his last two games, 16 targets in one, eight in the other. I think I'm at a five, Dalton. As, As bad as this team is, I'm at a five as far as Mooney as a trustable wide receiver to the rest of the season and i'm surprised to be saying that because before the year we talked about him you liked him a lot for this year i was kind of like well i really like him for dynasty but i just don't think it's going to happen for him this year first and foremost like alan robinson doing absolutely nothing has has changed that equation no, no doubt about it pain but i just like mooney has flat out produced like he's been consistent all season he has five or more targets in all games but one and if you just look at the game log like he's at least been adequate a lot of weeks for fantasy and has had a couple of blow-ups so like and he's the only starter who has proven to have any type of chemistry with fields who i assume will be back soon he practiced today i think whether it's this week or next week i assume dalton's not the starter the rest of the season but who knows well um matt Nagy did say as long as he's healthy, Justin Fields is our starter. Justin Fields practiced today and took reps with the second team. Dalton took first team. Don't know what's going on there, but I, I'm with you. Darnell Mooney is a five for me. The guy, he blew up into the NFL this year. It's his second year blow up. 
He's 11th in the NFL in team air yards, which is incredible. I mean, being top 12 in that stat just means he's getting those deep balls. Like you said, he's had 12 and eight target gain the last two weeks. Over the last four weeks in the NFL, he's sixth in target share. So he's putting up absolutely alpha numbers. Allen Robinson probably is not going to play this week. He's trending negative so far. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be another Mooney week where he's the main guy. I believe Jakeem Grant's not going to play too. So, I mean, it's going to be a concentrated target share. This team is bereft of playmakers. David Montgomery does not look like himself right now. And Do we were- trust David Montgomery down the stretch? No, he, I almost put him on this list, but I, I, I chose – I went with Mooney instead. No, I mean, Montgomery's another guy that you're probably stuck with, but I don't trust him. It's very Miles Gaskin. You're just hoping for a touchdown. Yeah. He 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 looked good to start the season. He looked like his, you know, what he ended on last year. But yep. whatever that injury was, what he's coming back from. The good news, if you're a Montgomery owner, is left tackle Tevin Jenkins is supposed to be back this week. And that might, you know, make the offensive line a little better at run blocking. Um, but the best thing that could happen is Matt Nagy catches COVID again and Bill Lazor calls plays. <laughs> that's that's the best thing that happened to this team this year so far. <sighs> The, the, the thing about Dave Montgomery that you at least have to like is clear Herbert has nine carries in the last three games, which yeah. again, like, Hey, if you bought low on him, when I said, hopefully you didn't spend too much. That was a, a shot in the dark in me trying to predict usage. It has not turned out that way, which you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm smarter than the bears coaches because they should be giving him the ball more. I'm not going to say that about very many coaching staffs. But the Bears and the Seahawks are, are definitely two. I was like, going to say, so far we have two on this list. We think we're smarter. <laughs> I could I could at least be be telling them what types of plays to run. They figure out all. <laughs> they figure it out from there. Look, I run slants over there playing Madden, and it's pretty successful. So if they just do that, I at least put the the better players in my starting lineup, <laughs> or at least like give good players the ball in in Madden. So I've got that going for me. But yeah, I mean. The only thing that could really throw a monkey wrench into this, I think, is if Allen Robinson were to come back, not this week, doesn't seem like, like you said, but just down the stretch and kind of be some version of Allen Robinson. But if that happens, I think you just have to take it on the chin because I I don't know how anyone could predict that's going to happen after what, what we've seen from him and the team this year when it comes to Allen Robinson. Yeah, and unless you have someone like we talked about earlier, like Metcalf, you're still probably flexing Mooney with where you got him in the draft. So you can still afford to take that hit in production, hopefully, in a week. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, another receiver, this guy. You know what? I just – I never gave up hope. Never gave up hope that Brandon Ayuk would someday emerge from the dark depths of Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. Dalton, I think that day – is finally here. I'm at a five with Brandon Ayuk as a top 20 receiver the rest of the season. And I think he's a top 12 receiver if you're doing rankings as long as Debo is out. So I have Ayuk at a four. And the only How reason, dare the you? The only reason he is at a four is because he has a coach named Kyle Shanahan. And I just... Everything is trending positive. You tell me why you hate him, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. I don't hate uh, Ayuk <laughs> at all. This is completely situational. Uh, I just, you know, that Juwan Jennings came in, had a good game. Trent Sherfield's been mixed in here and there. And part of me just feels like everything's rolling the right way for the 49ers. They look like they're in playoff contention. And Shanahan 
just like in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, is going to find a way to screw it up. And that <laughs> starts with not starting Brandon Ayuk the right way. Now that Debo's definitely going to miss this week in a couple of weeks, maybe all of a sudden Shanahan gets weird and starts just putting Ayuk in weird formations where he doesn't belong, where he can't succeed. But he's at a four. So again, I would completely do not advise you not to start him. Just saying the only reason he's not a five is because the coach attached to his name is Kyle Shanahan. And that man has been very frustrated to try to pick who and who he does not like. Let me ask Brandon Ayuk or must start Mike Williams rest of season. Who are you taking? Uh, you're Brandon Ayuk. But I think Brandon Ayuk's probably top 12. Rest of season or just uh, while Debo's out? Well, Debo's probably out three to four weeks, so I'd just say rest of season. Really? Three to four weeks? I I, I saw one to two, but I haven't like followed that incredibly closely. Yeah, from what I was reading, he's going to be out three to four. Well, as long as Debo's out, then yeah, I think he's top 12. Uh, funny enough, on Mike Williams, I looked this morning, since we made our bet, which I think was before week 10, I, I looked this morning, so I know I have the number, right? He's wide receiver 25, and we had top 24. Our bets are always, like, very scarily on – Oh, man. On, like, we we do bets as well as Vegas does over-unders sometimes, I swear, for or or just, like, point spreads. Like, we we are on the margin all the time. Oh, that is going to be a <laughs> a tight one. Um, but I hate, it, I hate the Steelers for giving him that long touchdown pass because that's, like he, – he has, like – I think he's averaging like 6.7 points per game and since week 10, but like whatever, like 13 of his whatever would be like 30 points have came on that one play. Yeah, I saw that play and I cheered. Uh, <laughs> but if you're Brandon Ayuk owner, the upcoming schedule they have is amazing. They get the Seahawks, the Bengals, the Falcons, and the Titans. Like you said earlier, that team, we don't know what they're going to look like at this point. And then you get the fantasy playoffs in the finals with the Texans. So, I mean, he could be a league winner down the stretch mm-hmm. and very, very good for anybody that owns him. He's had three straight weeks of over 90% of the team's snaps and has 23% of the team's targets over the last five. So he has arrived with an it, asterisk. It got pretty dicey there for a while where it was, well, obviously got pretty dicey, but like, he may have been dropped in your league. And if you hung on to him, it is going to pay dividends. It already has been paying some dividends, and it's going to really pay dividends, I think, down the stretch. And if you picked him up off waivers, that's a great waiver pickup for you. So here's here's why I'm even a little more optimistic than you. So I've, I've, I took a little peek at, at his usage the last, I think, since week nine. So a four-game sample in there. And that is when he started finally playing – all the snaps consistently. He has been 88% or higher in all of those games. And he's been above 90% in all but one game. So like full-fledged, like starting receiver, which he was not until week nine. He has averaged, or just last week, he averaged 30 yards per catch. So you like that. He was the leading receiver in that game, like yards-wise and just like usage wise and Debo was like kind of the pure running back like it, it was a, it's a little strange that they've got Debo doing so much more running stuff maybe that's how they get Ayuk more involved and even if Debo does come back maybe that's how Ayuk still stays as a top 20 receiver you might worry a, a little bit about consistency just with this offense like his one bad game in his last four was against the Rams when they were able to run the ball every play and it worked so if they can do that 
they are going through that. And that's where some downside could be in play. But what I like are, are two things. Number one, I found this cool little stat that is yards after the catch plus expected yards after the catch. And so you take that difference and basically you find the guys who are doing the best in yards after the catch, given what they should be doing, right? Like based on, on each play. Number one is Debo. Makes total sense. Like he's number one by a pretty wide margin. But not that much further down. He's at a plus 2.2, which is eighth in the NFL, is Brandon Ayuk. So he's still been a, a yak monster this year. It's just gone a little under the radar because, number one, he started so poorly. Number two, Debo's just been awesome. And then the next thing you like is he's being used as like a true downfield receiver the last three, four weeks. On the season, he's accounted for 19.3% of their air yards. But let's go week by week since week eight. Only three of these weeks actually, or four of these weeks actually count because in week 10, that was the Elijah Mitchell 85 carries game. (laughs) 85. 26.3%, 29.8%, 39.2%, 39.4%. Those are the four weeks out of that five that I could count. So – you take that average, which I think was like 36 or something, 35. I did that math earlier. He would be, oh, I have it here, 33.7. That would rank him as 13th in the NFL in in air yard percentage, air yard target share. So that's above guys like Deontay Johnson, Hollywood Brown, Debo. It's above Debo. And just for reference, like Terry McLaurin leads the league at 45% by like two percentage points, which is just absurd but i think shanahan has finally got out of his own way when it comes to iu i like the way he's been used the last month and obviously i was all in on the breakout before the season heartbroken when it was going the exact wrong way and i'm all the way back on board ready to be shanahan again but here we are yeah and again he'd be a five for me if his coach wasn't named kyle shanahan although if he was Pete carroll he'd be like a two so it could be <laughs> it could be worse i mean it could definitely be worse. I would take Kyle Shanahan coaching the Seahawks. Me too. I would take just about anybody coaching the Seahawks. Okay. Speaking of a good coach, but uh, kind of a bad situation the last couple of weeks, the Rams, and we're going to go with Matthew Stafford here. Uh, we haven't really talked about it, but quarterback has been an absolute wasteland over the last, I don't know, five, six weeks. If you like, what is this week 13? 13 weeks. <laughs> if you had Josh Allen like Dalton did, like, yeah, Fournette scored 40 for you, but getting 26 from Josh Allen is almost as big of an advantage in any given matchup because you could have played against Cam Newton. You could have played against like Big Ben. You could have played against like all these guys that had like between six and 10 points. Like, it's just been abysmal. Matthew Stafford, it, the Rams have lost three straight. He's averaging 16.6 points per game, but he's just not playing well. Dalton, where, where are you at with Stafford? So I have been three, and in a normal, and I say normal with like air quotes, NFL season, he might, he would probably be lower for me, but like you were talking about, quarterback's so weird and hit or miss this year. Jalen Hurts had 11 points last week, and he's probably been the closest thing to a sure thing week in and week out for you yeah. in fo- fantasy football. Over his last three games, Matthew Stafford has a 57.2% pass grade. And I'll tell you why. 
It's because in the last three games, well, he's, thrown Rams, three, he's thrown pick sixes in each of the last three yes. games. That does not help. Well, the Rams have trailed in 85% of the game scripts in those three games. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about Sean McVay being a good coach. Well, Sean McVay's trademark in the NFL was like motion and play action. Over this, the entire season, the Rams are 26th in motion and 22nd in play action. I'm not sure what's going on in Los Angeles, but I really am starting to think that this Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay match made in heaven is coming back to fruition because I look like an idiot when I was telling people they shouldn't <laughs> bet the Matthew Stafford MVP futures at the start of the season. And now it's looking yeah, I'm, a lot I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about feeling pretty gross about Stafford MVP odds before the season. Yeah, his PPR finishes last three weeks are 17, 17, and five. And that five came at the expense of a horrible QB week where Lamar Jackson threw four picks, Patrick Mahomes didn't play, and Jalen Wait, Hurts. Wait, did, did you just say Matthew Stafford's PPR finishes as he catching yeah. passes to help himself Great. out? Just important to have him out there. <laughs> uh, and last but just not least, he his yards per attempt are 6.8, which is it's 16th in the NFL, but it's – for a guy that doesn't rush, it's just not good. I mean, if you had Matthew Stafford, he made a lot of his points early in the season beating up on bad teams. The Lions, the Texans, those were two of his bigger games that have him at QB5 right now. And and also he had a couple big plays where it was like, wow, Cooper Cup is 10 yards behind any defender. Yeah, or Deshaun Jackson catching that touchdown pass in week two, I think. And I mean, Deshaun Jackson, as we've learned, if he can get into the end zone without fumbling at like the 10-yard line, it's a miracle. So that's just not uh, sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you can get off of Matthew Stafford, I would. If you're kind of in a league where you picked up another quarterback, I would look to be starting him. Uh, let me look up the Rams schedule here, but I'm pretty sure it picks up considering they play the Cardinals at least one more time. All right, well, how about this? You um, you mentioned them earlier, Matthew Stafford or Kirk Cousins rest of the season. Dude, I really like Kirk Cousins right now. And I think with – Famous last words. <laughs> I, I think – Let's look at the primetime schedule. Does Kirk have any oh, primetime playoff games? That is a great point because if he does, let me let me change that. But <laughs> – I, there are there's some people talking with uh, Cook being out for a while. Is is Cousins going to cook? And maybe he does. Um, I take back what I said. The Rams play the Jaguars this week, and then in two weeks they play the Seahawks, and then they play the Vikings. But you get the Ravens in your fantasy playoffs, and you get the Cardinals in two weeks. So he's going to probably be hit or miss, and hopefully you can spot start him. Then again, maybe the Jaguars do to him what they did to Josh Allen. Who knows? <laughs> I think I have been a three as well, and it's a lot to do with the, the quarterback position. Oh, another interesting name game, Taysom Hill or Matthew Stafford rest of season. Oh, Taysom Hill. There's such a rushing upside there. There is. We just we haven't even seen him play a game at quarterback yet this yeah. year, but we I know what it looked like last year. I know he had Michael Thomas in, in a fair portion of those games, but – yeah, well, if Alvin Kamara doesn't play this week, I mean, Taysom Hill to the moon. He could have an Alvin Kamara five-rushing touchdown game if the Saints can find the end zone. I was going to say, they have to get to the end zone for him to actually have that much value. But, yeah, I I think I would take Taysom, too, which is just – it's wild to be saying. Like, Stafford's the QB six, and I'm saying, yeah, give me the guy who – I don't even see him on the quarterback scoring. Has he like, yeah, he's I'll, I'll take the quarterback 42 in seven <laughs> games over, over the quarterback six. Yeah. But I mean, that's the season we've had this. 
I cannot wait for the retrospectives on why this fantasy football season was so just different than normal ones. Nothing that I think a lot of the mainstream analysts predicted has turned out to be correct. One interesting thing I heard, and this wasn't like backed up by stats necessarily, but just backed up by the fact that we've seen the, the cover two, the two deep safeties really flummox a lot of, of teams, or at least hamper them for quite some time, is it's that teams have never really in the past geared their defense towards stopping the deep stuff. It was always you geared it toward the other stuff and you'd get beat deep, you know, just based on getting fooled by play action based on keying on other stuff and getting beat deep. Like it's just a, obviously if you've been watching football, it's not news that this defense has been affecting things this year, but just maybe the fact that, Oh, like their whole game plan is to keep us from throwing the ball more than 15 yards down the field. Maybe that, maybe that is really all it is. I, I don't know. Which if that is true, uh, fantasy football is just going to be way, way more difficult for the next couple until it gets figured out. Another uh, interesting theory I had was last season, there just weren't any fans in the stadium, and I don't know how much fan noise is affecting it. And I say that because I pay close attention to the Chiefs, and there have been a lot of miscues offensively and defensively. And then if you watched even the Cowboys game last week, there was a play where Tyrone Smith turned the wrong direction on pass blocking and he's an all pro guard or tackle. Yeah, I do remember remember that play. And there have been a bevy of those. And I don't know if a lot of players just got used to playing without fans for a season. And it did lead to an offensive renaissance last year. And maybe it's just an adjustment. All I know is that I think just like they should just make cover two illegal, the cover two shell defense. It's just not fun. (laughs) So the thing we haven't mentioned with the Rams yet is that Robert Woods is obviously out for the season, which I'm putting Stafford as a, at a three based a lot on position, but the thing that makes me a little uneasy is I think Woods was really important to that offense. And I know like Odell looked pretty decent last week, like Van Jefferson pretty good, but like Woods is just kind of reliable. Like Cup is very reliable, obviously, but like just like Woods is just so clear. I feel so much more comfortable with him than I do those other two receivers so i'll be curious to see like can they truly get back on track without robert woods i have i just have enough faith in mcveigh and enough skepticism in the rest of the quarterback field that i think you still have to sort of trust matthew stafford is where i'm at well if there's ever been a get right game it's the jaguars traveling across the coast to play you at home (laughs) Could be a big Sony Michelle week if Daryl Henderson doesn't play. Just, uh, just gonna throw that one out there. It'll be a huge Sony Michelle week. Probably one of the most valuable handcuffs right now, because there's, uh, there's no, no clear like other guy. There, there probably will be another guy, but there's no clear other guy who, who's gonna get a lot of touches. In. I couldn't name you the third back there. I'm being <laughs> completely honest, and that's me as somebody who watches backfields as close as I can. Mm-hmm. All right, last guy. We're gonna end with. Probably the biggest star we've had on the show. Yep. Uh, outside of maybe DK Metcalf. That's Aaron Jones, Dalton. How trustworthy is Aaron Jones? Obviously, they have a bye week this week. So we're not going to see anything we say come to fruition this week. But how much can you trust him in the last four, one week of regular season and potentially three weeks of playoffs from your team for your team? So I have been a five. Again, really, just, wow. just a rem- reminder: I have Miles Gaskin at four. 
Um, so it's all, it's all about perspective though. It depends on like, like is, is you saying he's a five? Does that mean you're trusting him as a locked and loaded top 10 running back? Yes. And part of that is I think the Rams game, we didn't see a lot of him because I really think he wasn't, he, a lot of people I trust, including Mina Kimes talked about how it was really surprising. Aaron Jones was back that quickly from his injury. And I just think that he was there. Coupled with the fact that like they had their bye week. So it just would have made a lot of sense to just not play him and give him two weeks off. Exactly. And so he came in, he played 48% of the snaps and he didn't look himself. And he only had one target in the game. I really just think that he wasn't supposed to be out there. And I think that the bye week is going to be a good get right for him. As Packers do, they need him. He's just, he's probably their second best weapon. And I think this isn't a takeaway from AJ Dillon because this Packers offense has always existed with a two backs mindset. Jamal Williams did it years prior, mm-hmm. and they can both exist and be fruitful in it. And Aaron Rodgers is going to continue to move the ball, and Aaron Jones will be the guy that he just trusts to do so. Mm-hmm. So I have been a four, and that is at a four. Like, I don't think he's a locked and loaded top 10 guy right now. That opinion could change quickly, depending on what we see. And this is less about Aaron Jones and more just about A.J. Dillon. Like, that guy's been freaking good. Just flat out good in the chances he's got. And we don't have a lot to go on as far as how guys will be used when they're both out there. Because Dillon just really wasn't getting a ton of run for the first, like, five, six weeks. It started picking up a little bit, and then and then Rodgers had COVID, and then Jones got hurt midway through the Seahawks game, and then Jones played basically a shell, as a shell of himself, as you mentioned last week. So a lot of this is just projection, quite frankly. But I'm just wondering if maybe, like, I think in the past it would have been like Aaron Jones as the RB5 in any given week, and A.J. Dillon as like the RB, like, 26 i'm just wondering if we aren't to the point where it's like rb 13 and rb 18 for those two guys like rb 12 and rb 20 like somewhere in that range let's play a fun game let's pretend aaron jones plays this week in a neutral game strip so it's not a bad matchup it's not a good matchup i'm going to go through some of the the bottom half of the top 10 players and see who you would start Mm -hmm. well to be clear next week they're on a bye this week yes yes corderell patterson or Aaron Jones. I'd start Patterson over God. Aaron. Not that you're picking those. Like, you're going to start both of them. Uh, oh, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's phrase it this way. I would rank Patterson higher than Aaron Jones. James Conner. <laughs> I, would, I would rank Aaron Jones higher than James Conner. PFF has James Conner above Patterson by one. Um, Alexander Madison. He does play the Lions this week. I would rank Madison higher for as long as Balvin Cook is out. Antonio Gibson. I think I'd rank Gibson higher. It, 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 it depends if McKissick is out. I think he's not going to play this week, but if we're talking next week too, like if McKissick is out, I think I'd rank Gibson higher. Saquon. I'd rank Saquon higher. And then James Robinson. I'd rank Aaron Jones higher. <laughs> okay. That's a fun little game there. Uh Another one on there, uh, Leonard Fournette, but he's all the way up to five on this list. I'd like Fournette higher after what he <laughs> just did last week. I'll take Fournette, please. <laughs> Touchdown regression. Maybe I'll came in one game for Fournette, but uh, who cares? Apologize to every mean thing we've said about him on this podcast. <laughs> so here's the thing. 
this is a little, let's say, hard to trust because, like I said, they have not played very much, like, full-fledged together yet this year. But A.J. Dillon has 24 carries in the red zone this season, two touchdowns. Aaron Jones has 29 carries in the red zone and three touchdowns. And like I said, I know that's been affected big time in the last couple of weeks. But my overall point is last year, A.J. Dillon had four carries in the red zone and one touchdown. Like, I think he's carved himself out a, a bigger role, bigger red zone role, which, I mean, looking at the two guys, he should be the short yardage red zone guy of the two. Aaron Jones gets plenty of those chances, but like, I think the one game that we have that we can kind of look at, and I, I think this is how I expect the usage to go, is you look at that Cardinals game. 15 carries and 7 catches for Aaron Jones. 16 carries for A.J. Dillon. Now, it's not going to be that high of volume, but just like those percentage splits. Like I think this is going to be a 55-45, 60-40, because that's what the Packers have always done with Aaron Jones and they probably will do that while they're easing him back in. Guess what? They have a great record again. He is going to be an important part of their playoff push. Like why go crazy with them down the stretch? And I just think if AJ Dillon is really able to eat into that red zone work, I think he's more of a top 20 guy than top 30, which hurts Aaron Jones a little bit as a top 10 type of guy. Yeah. Well, and the one thing about Aaron Jones, uh, to my frustration, uh, is that he's always incredibly efficient with his touches as well. And maybe the injury hampers that again. And what I want to say to any Aaron Jones owners out there is if you're complaining about him getting a 60% snap share, that's what you signed up for when you drafted him. Yep. There, there, there's just not a situation where that guy is a 90% snap back. And that's okay because of how that offense fu functions. And as far as the red zone rule goes, I hey, if you if, if just frankly be happy your guy is still on two feet and getting sixty percent of the snaps the way this season has gone. Seriously, because if you have a running back who's been paid, you know, twelve million a year, I think is the number. I think Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, and you don't Aaron even Jones. don't even say Joe Mixon's name <laughs> in this conversation. You rinse that out of your mouth. Oh. Don't don't jinx him. Those are the only backs who've stayed on, you know, two legs the entire season and AK's missed two games. It's just, it's been real rough out there. Real rough. Dalton, anything else to add on, on Dylan and the Packers? No, hopefully Aaron Rodgers toe heals and it's not COVID toe anymore, but we'll come to find out. Yeah. Um, went from COVID toe to broken toe to Aaron, to Aaron Rodgers showing us his toe in a, in, in a zoom uh, media availability. Don't know if you saw that. There's a screenshot. It was a screenshot with him literally just holding his foot. In front of the camera. It's like, I actually like, believe it's his Twitter profile picture now. Oh, honestly, that's pretty funny. That's pretty, <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, we've reached the point of talking about Aaron Rodgers' toe. And on that note, that's going to do it for episode 56 of the Half Point for Podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We'll see about a weekend stream. Haven't done it for a very long time. Well, I got back into the DraftKings and underdog game last week. Maybe we'll, we'll bring it back this weekend. Regardless, we will talk to you guys soon. Hoping you all have a great week 13. Lord help us all as we continue to, to battle and claw our way through this fantasy football season. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon.